Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and sometimes, accidentally, in spite of myself, something funny or interesting happens. This is Previously Live. Hello? Hey! Hey! How you doing? Good. I'm happy to hear that. I am also doing good. Uh, can you hear me all right? I can. Uh, I'm just hearing repeats, so I'm not sure if that's on my end or your end. Let me check. Um, things seem to be fine on my end. You're hearing repeats. Um, how would that... Oh, or do you have my stream up? You know, that's probably it. <laughs> probably doesn't help. No. Okay. I think we're better now. All right. Uh, uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty okay. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Um, the, uh, the, the young people in my audience are probably only vanishingly familiar with the good that you've done, and I think it would be nice to uh, educate them slightly. Oh, well, I'm flattered that you think I did good. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that I was, uh, 10 years younger than I am now. I'm almost 26. So I did this, it, it's full 10 years ago now. Oh my um, God, you're younger than me. All right. Um, I am. <laughs> uh, introduce yourself, uh, uh, please everyone. Uh, so my name's Jessica Alquist and the reason that I'm on the stream is because when I was in high school, I sued my city, or I guess you could say school, because they had a religious prayer displayed on the wall. Um, they called it a banner, but it was actually painted straight on the wall. Um, and it was titled School Prayer, and it started Our Heavenly Father, ended with Amen, and, and it was it was a, it was a prayer. So um, it started off where I just uh, asked them, you know, hey, I, I think there might be a problem with this. And it ended up becoming a lawsuit. I the, the ACLU reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be represented in the event that the school committee that they had created to talk about the issue, if they decided that they were going to refuse to take it down, um, I, I was asked if I would want to be in a lawsuit. And I said, okay, obviously with the permission and consent of my parents and all that. But um, it ended up it ended up getting to that level where the city decided no we're going to leave it up and that was against their own attorney's better judgment um but it's a very very religious area i'm from rhode island which people don't think of being a conservative place but it's very catholic so the reason i was so astonished when you reached out to me was because uh, i mean we're basically the same age so we would have graduated at around the same time but Back yeah. at the time that this was happening with you, back when you were doing this, I was big in with the louder left-leaning political communities online, which at the time were mostly like new atheists. They were mostly like, um, mo you remember back in those days, it was like the cool, logical atheists versus the cringe Christians. Like that, that was like the big discourse at the time. Very well, yes. Yeah, and, and your case was one of the central topics of discussion for a long long time it was crazy 
um, I was like a, a blast from the past when, when you, when you messaged me and I was reminded of all of that. But in addition to it, just being a part of my memory of early college and late high school, it's also like incredibly important. Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about how everything went down? No, please do. It's hard for me to talk about like almost a three-year course, uh, you know, event in my life and to know where to start is actually really difficult. So hit me with any questions you got. Yeah. So you said that the community that you that you were in was a very like conservative religious community. Can you like tell us how that manifested exactly? Yeah. So the school I went to, I would say the majority of the people who who went to that school um, identified as Catholic. And while I would say most of the people, I mean, we didn't vote at that point, but I would say most people had like left leaning parents when it came to like voting. So socially, definitely uh, on the left, mm -hmm. but in a strange way, religion has just always been sort of part of the public sphere. So like growing up, I would have teachers say things like, you know, I want you guys to be behaving the way that you would if the Pope were to show up. And little things like that, you know, here and there are like oh, in choir. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a public school and not just like a small school, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Cranston, where I'm from, is one of the larger uh, cities in Rhode Island. I mean, it's not Providence, but it's not it's not like the middle of nowhere, certainly. So, um, it, I mean, I always kind of brush those things off because I was young and it, it didn't really seem that big of a deal. But at the point that the school had something up on the wall that was, you know, clearly an establishment of religion, I would say, um, I noticed it as a freshman. So I was 14 for my whole freshman year. And it wasn't until the very end that my best friend had seen it and had like been like, hey, did you know this was there? Let's go look at it. And so we did. And we just looked at each other and thought, this cannot possibly be legal. And I mean, it wasn't, obviously. But at the time, I didn't feel totally confident in that. So mm -hmm. I did some research on it. And then uh, after it became sort of a public issue, that's when I started getting just straight up harassed at school. So um, even though these people, I wouldn't call them conservative. I w that's a that makes it sound much more southern than it is. Not right. to just not to. I'm no shame to the south. Nothing like that. But I'm I'm trying to. Every time people hear about this story out of context, they just assume that I, it happened. You know, in the Bible Belt or but something. To them, it probably felt like um like out of nowhere. Like they were all comfortable in the way things were, and then you were like the 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 godless do-gooder trying to like you know bring the federal government down on what was otherwise a wholesome you know like i imagine that was kind of like the narrative right like you were rocking the boat yeah i mean people would straight up say to me like total strangers would say to me well it's been there for a long time and nobody's complained about it so why do you care about it and i you know obviously would explain why well, tell uh, me, probably why why did you care about it? Was it like a principled commitment to our constitutional rights? Or was there something about it, like on a personal level, that made you feel uncomfortable? Um, probably a mix. I think that once I realized the extent to which the city was comfortable or the school was comfortable saying, you know, you can just look the other way, I think that added 
to my anger about it or to like my feeling of not belonging because of it. Um, I mean, it, it, to say school prayer, you know, and, and also growing up, one of my closest friends was Muslim and, you know, that the way the, the phraseology of this prayer, you can't pretend it's just, you know, every, every denomination or every religion. It's uh -huh. not at all. It, our heavenly father, that's really only Christians that would, that would call God that. So, and, and people would point out too, you know, it's a positive message. How can you have a problem with that? Again, it, it's not a positive message that I have a problem with. It's the fact that the school was, I mean, the first amendment says that you cannot, the government cannot establish religion. And, and this was a public school. So, I mean, how much more could a public school show its preference towards one religion than, than they were? Yeah, I, that would have made me deeply uncomfortable. When I grew up, where I grew up, there, it was a very Jewish community. Um, and there were private Jewish schools all over the place, you know? But one thing that I could always count on, because they held this in high regard, was that no matter what the relationships were between the students who attended the school I went to or their professors and anyone's religious orientation, nobody was ever made to feel or uncomfortable because of their religion where I went to school. There were Muslims who went there and, and Jewish people, Christians and Catholics and everyone. And I think that environment, that expectation that you can go there, no matter your faith, and just set it down for a second and not be bothered, is really important and I imagine that it it's 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 quite disruptive to that to see what is essentially a endorsement of a particular faith emblazoned across the wall you know in the building it would really disrupt that feeling even if everything else was fine I still think that people would be legitimately uncomfortable with that you know yeah and that's exactly why you know my friend had seen it before I did. It was actually in our school's auditorium. Uh -huh. um, and so she had seen it. And then at the end of the day, that day, towards the end of our freshman year, I got a text and she said, did you know this was there? And, you know, she was very shocked by it. She was the only other person I knew at that point who actually did identify as an atheist, which I do. I probably should have mentioned that at this point. But um, I, that was part of what put the spotlight directly on me was that I, I publicly, so I went to this meeting and I had used the word atheist. And so I think that was sort of what really diverted all the attention to that issue. Um, like a, like a religious thing, like, uh, if I was successful in taking the prayer down, I think the, a lot of people in the community and the school was, they were acting as if the only way to interpret that was that atheism was, was, you know, dominant. That yeah. it was winning. And it's like an attack then too. It's not about like a dispassionate enforcement of constitutional rules. Now it's like the surly atheist. You're like the, you're like the Grinch and you're trying to steal Christmas from everyone now, you know? Oh yeah. That's, I mean, the very first night that I ever said I was an atheist, I was, 15 i think and like i still had braces on i had come to this meeting like with a winter coat on and i like didn't take it off the whole time like i did like tv interviews wearing a winter coat because i was just so nervous and it was like a security blanket um like people said like oh you're you're just looking for attention this and that but i i really can't stress to you how shy i was at that point at that age and um 
yeah, that very night I had presented myself. I said, you know, as an atheist student at this school, I feel like this prayer is saying that I don't belong here, really. I mean, it's it's making me feel out of place. It's making me feel like this school values the religious students over the non-religious students. And a woman who had been in the audience at that meeting gasped out loud, like it was audible. And she called me, I think, a witch that night. And she continued to go to the rest of the meetings. Lots of people did. The meetings became completely crazy. There was hundreds of people in attendance by the last one. And the types of things that people would call me and were shocking. This was this was before the ACLU got involved, right? This was back when it was just um, discourse between you and the and the school. Yes, because yeah. in the beginning, you know, I didn't go straight to the ACLU. I just asked asked I just voiced my opinion basically, and uh, it was through news coverage that the ACLU caught wind of you know, right. this whole court case maybe being a thing in the future. And then they thought, hey, I, or, you know, they, they saw me on the news and thought that I would be someone who would be a willing plaintiff because the ACLU wouldn't be able to do anything without a plaintiff. They would have right. no standing. They would have to birth a child, enroll that child in that school 15 years <laughs> later. And then, exactly. you know, right, yeah, it'd be, be a, a little more involvement um, on their end. Uh, so it, it is funny because I've known plenty of religious people and I, there are plenty of fine, wonderful religious people. I'm not besmirching that, but there are some religious people who I, I swear, um, the right, like triggers, the right indicators will send them back to the 16th century. Like the, sometimes they just go, they whip right back over there, like calling you a witch for, yeah. for saying you were an atheist. That's incredible. I mean, not in a good way, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. No, I do. I do. Um, I mean, they called me a Satanist. A lot of people thought that the word atheist was synonymous with Satanist, uh, thinking that I quite literally worshipped the devil and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, again, I was a kid. Like, I was a child. And so it's been 10 years since then. And, like, the level of horror that I now have for some of the stuff that was said to and about me, you know, now that I'm an actual adult, I, I just kind of can't even believe it. Like it, it is actually something that the more reflecting on it, I do mm -hmm. the worse I realize it was. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Like to, to say that about a kid too. And the funny thing is, I mean, it completely flips the script on like the perceived antagonism. If the people in that community or not all of them, but if the loudest minority of that community had been reasonable, this would have just been like a simple constitutional discourse issue. But they go there, they turned it into the media firestorm that oh, yeah. brought the ACLU down on them. Yeah, more or less. Uh, I mean, not to say they asked for it, but they had every opportunity to just take it down. You know, they didn't need to be sued necessarily. They're the ones that made it go that far by deciding that no we're just going to continue to violate the first amendment and the rights of all the students in this school and their parents and the taxpayers and everybody i mean it's a first amendment issue and so uh and that was obvious that was obvious i think even to them mm -hmm. i think that they thought no we're just going to take a principled stance you know to defend religion here um 
the, the people who were on the school committee would not make it, you know, it was no secret that they were very much bringing their religion with them into the school, you know, and they, they, they said things to that effect. One of them at one point, and it was probably just theatrics that he had even worn rosary beads for that day. I, I have a hard time believing he wore them every single day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he uh, pulled them out of his shirt very like dramatically and said, as a, you know, as a practicing devoted Catholic, he can't leave his religion at the door. So, you know, he, he appreciates the constitution and everything, but you know, it's just not within his, you know, religious. He's essentially, he's built different. Yeah. He, he's exactly. built different. Um, that is psychotic. And wow, you have to have a poor understanding of the constitution to think that is how that works. Um, this man was a lawyer too. I mean, it's not like he hadn't been taught about how this stuff worked. That's cool. Um, <laughs> with all of this hate that you were getting, why did you keep putting up with it? I mean, you were you were a, a, a high school girl. You must have been going through so much stuff elsewise, personal, college stuff coming. Like, there must have been so much in your life already, and you made the decision to continue to allow this, this process to be a part of your life. What what like propelled you to do that well uh again i i i feel funny like admitting to this but i think it was partially the hatred itself that drove me to be like you can't you can't do this <laughs> it, it made them seem like much less sympathetic people honestly right. like i felt a little bad like hey this is my hometown this is where i grew up this is my school, my community, my peers, how could I be suing them, you know? And for the record, I did not get a penny from any of this, okay? Mm -hmm. My lawyers did, but I did not. So a lot of people think I was in it for the money or that I got some kind of settlement. I got nothing, and that was by choice. I specifically said I would like nothing because there are so many allegations that I'm doing this for money. Uh -huh. um, so, so I mean, yeah, I, I got a $25 check. That's the minimum you can get. And yeah. I've never cashed it. I still have it. So it's, it's like a trophy for me. Um, so, I mean, I do feel a little funny admitting that, uh, yeah, their, their aggression and, and the way that they were talking about all atheists as if they knew them all, um, it, it kind of pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. And so that was... Uh, their reactive behavior not only spurred the ACLU, it also spurred you. Like, it was just... So, like a spike train all the way to uh to gravy town i mean i completely get that too like if i if i'm like you know if if i'm over at like a friend's house or something and um and they ask me like um oh yeah man can you like um <clears throat> can you not like uh slam the doors when you when you enter like i'd be like oh okay but if like you you walk in there and lightly close the door and they scream at you for it i mean it's an issue now right anything if people are rude to you, you give them every imaginable excuse uh, to continue like pushing back against them. Um, it's so cool that you continue to go through with that, by the way. I mean, it just got worse. Like in response to me sticking up for myself, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I my life was threatened like a lot. Like it got really, really bad. Not just like bullying, not just people my age, but like anonymous handwritten letters with like photos of me cut out from the newspaper, like terrifying stuff. 
police were like going around our house, around my family's house. Uh, I had, I have three younger siblings who were like all under the age of 13 at that point. So mm-hmm. it was a very scary time. And I sometimes feel guilty for putting my family through that, especially since they have the same last name. And for a while that was like, you know, not awesome in the community to be sharing that that was your name. Uh, so, so I had a lot of mixed feelings about it, but it got so bad that there were police with me at school, taking me from one class to the next, because people in my school had made, had made, you know, seemingly real threats against me online. And that was, I mean, I, for the record, ACAB all the way, I'm not suggesting anything about cops here i i just that they actually i was like a liability to the school i um oh you know all credit to um the the famed religious tolerance of your community with the police that must have been really embarrassing right i mean like having a cop escort you from class to class i i I know if i was a kid that would have been mortifying to me you know oh i like I didn't learn anything. I couldn't think about anything else except for, you know, I have people who wish they could be saying things to me right now. And then the only reason they can't is because there's literally an armed police officer right here. Uh, so, I mean, yes, it was definitely embarrassing, but I mean, I would be lying if I said that I didn't feel a little safer that way. Like, there were people who were very specific about their threats to like, oh, she's in my bio class. I'm going to get her. She sits in front of me. Like what? So it was, you know, legitimately kind of scary. But I think the scariest yeah, no, stuff- you, you, tr- you don't trust me. You don't need to defend the premise that you were fearful for your life. I think everyone listening is completely on board with, with the, the sincerity of that claim. And I can imagine having a cop around probably would make you feel, you know, a lot better. Whatever political like opinions we may have on cops generally, just having a big guy around, an effective deterrent to a lot of things, really, you know, or or girl, not doesn't have to be gender, but you know, big, an individual. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And all the, even if they weren't like armed or, something, I mean, they're authority figures, you know. It it was sort of the same as assigning like a like a professor or I guess a teacher um to sort of take me from class to class like it probably would have been fine but I think it was just the level of specificity you know with the violent threats that they just felt like you know again if if something does happen to her we're liable but the school you know very inconsistent with their um like they knew they were liable but they would do things like a newspaper would call up the school and ask if I was in school that day and they would just tell them which in hindsight, that's like ridiculous. Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 15 year old and people are calling and just saying, hey, I'm with the paper. I need to know this kid's whereabouts. Like, uh," and they just told them, you know? Yeah, would you say that she uh, sits next to the windows in room 206 in the second floor? Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a tree in the way? Okay, what's her fourth period look like? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit fucking insane. Um, I'd have to say, uh, okay. So you initially brought this to the attention of the school, which sparked an escalating series of threats against you and community tension. So at what point did the ACLU 
speak to you? How did they approach you? How did that happen? I got an email. The executive directors of the Rhode Island chapter of the ACLU, he somehow got my email and he just explained, you know, we've seen you talking about this on the local news and we are concerned that it's going to lead to um, a lawsuit. Well, you know, hopefully it would, I guess, from their perspective, but they were thinking that I was the only person who they were aware of that would be willing to turn this into a lawsuit. And so they said, uh, if, if in fact the subcommittee or the school committee that was made to discuss this whole issue, if they decide at the end of these meetings that they're gonna leave the prayer up, would you be interested in becoming a plaintiff? And I had to talk to my dad about it a bit. And right. uh, he said, we'll do whatever you want to do. And uh, my dad is, uh, you know, very, that was brave of him because he probably knew what was to come much more than I did. So, so, you, so your uh, family was supportive then of this, um, of, of your efforts? Yes, my immediate family. I mean, I have extended family, the majority of them, yes. Uh, I'm lucky, very lucky in that way. Uh, my dad's been, you know, I, I guess an atheist for a long time now. And hey, dad, if you're watching, listening, he's a big fan of yours. Oh, oh, well, that's very flattering. Hello. Uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, howdy. Um, yeah. So that was how it started. You know, he just said they'd been following it and he wasn't sure what was going to happen. I'm talking about the executive director, not my dad. At this point, but he right, said, we're not right. sure what's going to happen, but uh, it could turn into a lawsuit if you want it. And yeah, at that point, I kind of just didn't really think it would. I was just kind of thinking to myself, well, we'll see if it goes that far. These are all adults. The, the school committee, they, they're lawyers and adults and authority figures. They're going to read the Constitution, the very first <laughs> amendment, and recognize yeah. that that's not okay. That's the thing that I would have thought, too. I think especially as a younger person, like, wow. Do I really have to put in that much effort for something this obvious? You know, I, I think that would be that would be the thought going through my head because you'd think you could just like talk to them and it would be settled. You never think, especially when you're a kid, like, wow, this process, this thankless process, is going to take years. I mean, yeah. this is going to be like a, a a huge cornerstone of my life, and it's over something not only trivial, also something so obvious. Did you, at the time, did you, were you always thinking like, just one more month and this will be over? Like, you know, just one more week and this will be done? Uh, probably for the first, like, several months I thought that. And then I think at some point it, it did. I, I accepted the reality, like, okay, it's going to be a while. And it was. It was. I didn't get, uh, the case wasn't, ruled until I was at least halfway through my junior year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, so it was 2012 when the actual decision was reached. Mm -hmm. So we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary in January. Sheesh. So the ACLU approached you and they, um, and they asked if you'd be willing to be a plaintiff. And you said like the, the all the adults, the professionals, they talked this out and you thought, Oh, as soon as they just talk about it, it'll be settled. Because you'd think that, right? 
if you're like if you're in a you know a town and it's this is just a, a city and a school district and the ACLU shows up to challenge you, you'd think they would just roll over, right? I mean you would yeah, you would definitely expect it. Especially, I mean, does your audience know what the ACLU is? The American Civil Liberties Union? Like that's their whole thing. I if hope you don't so. know who they I are, look they them up. That. I would hope they do, but you know, I will be honest, I don't know if I've ever actually directly said what they are to my audience um yeah the american civil liberties union essentially tries to show up and assist on cases which they think are pivotal to civil rights issues uh they have a long long-standing history of supporting progressive cases but they do so with a fair degree of political neutrality in fact if i remember correctly there have been instances where they've defended the free speech of neo-nazis they're extremely yeah. principled in their advocacy for constitutional rights and it's something that i respect from them um, as as I do with their behavior in this case. Oh yeah, I mean I've heard even like they've done they've done plenty of cases where they've actually defended like a student's right to have a Bible with them in a public school or like to wear, you know, uh, an overtly religious T-shirt or something like that, like to school. Um, so they've they've done both sides of the spectrum. They don't they don't care whether you're an atheist, a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew. They don't care if you're a Nazi because they're just looking at what does the Constitution say? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And that's how they've been able to have such a good reputation too. Yeah, it's one of the things that I actually appreciate about them. It's they have a commitment to a set of principles and they don't care who they defend in order to bring about those principles. It's one of the things that spares them from being universally considered a partisan political organization. Because the thing is, if you're fighting to defend civil rights, 99% of the time, you're going to be siding with the left on an issue for fairly obvious reasons. But the fact that they're willing to, when it's applicable, side with people on the right, it goes a long way towards establishing their legitimacy. And that can be helpful when it comes to their reputation and, though it didn't happen in this case, the extent to which their presence can shut down cases before it even starts. Uh, obviously, with you, you had to take the long route, but I, I'm sure there are plenty of small towns out there in America that would roll over on their uh, biblical banners if the ACLU showed up, just because they have that formidable representation. Oh, yeah. Actually, the other side of town did that. So, oh, well, there you I, go. I <laughs> yeah, so there was a middle school. I mean, I was in high school at the time, but there was actually a middle school across town. I didn't go there, but apparently they had a very similar prayer displayed at their school. And um, when they heard what was happening with with my high school and the ACLU and everything, they just really quietly just took it down and just, you know, they they learned, they, they knew better than to do that. But for some reason, my school didn't. They really thought, again, even they had an attorney tell them you're not going to win this case. And they said, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. So I think they knew exactly what they were getting into. And it was all sort of just for show. Well, I'm sorry that you ended up having to take the long route. I imagine if that they just rolled... Well, actually, if they had just rolled over, hmm, are you happy with how things turned out? I mean, obviously you got the win, but do you wish things could have been settled in a less grandiose manner? Or are you happy that there was a big media firestorm around your advocacy for your constitutional rights? Oof, that's a tough question. Uh, I mean, I'm far enough away from it now where 
most of the conversations about it in my life at this point are positive. Like mm -hmm. at this point, even a lot of the people who I went to high school with who probably did not support what I was doing at the time, they've all gone to college. They've all, you know, grown up and recognized. And also we've lived through four years of, you know, this is why we have a constitution, right? So I think Trump sort of changed everything. It's definitely given me a different perspective on that too. Um, but yes. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. I mean, what you want then isn't the same as what you want now. I, I assume that since the, well, actually let's not skip steps. So the ACLU gets involved and, um, how over the, over the course of that legal battle, how often were you, were your services invoked as a plaintiff? How often would you have to go to this meeting or that testify here or there? How involved were you in the legal process? A good number of meetings that we had with the lawyers and uh i i was you know there was a very invasive discovery process where like the city's attorneys got access to absolutely everything i did on social media like mm -hmm. like even my like direct messages with people like with my friends and stuff like that so they were looking oh. to catch me yeah it wasn't the most comfortable thing as a kid that age and you know like there's like personal stuff. My parents were like separated and divorcing. And so like I would, if I was having a conversation with a friend about that stuff, like, no, absolutely everything needed to get turned over to the city or I could get in trouble for that. So I had to, I mean, we literally printed off every single thing I'd ever done on social media and gave it to them. I have to admit, I, I do not understand why a judge would accept that it, so i'm not a lawyer but as i understand it if you're um if you're subpoenaing uh, su subpoenaing information or if you're trying to get information turned over to the court usually the um the defendant or the lawyer like either legal team they have to like make that case to a judge and i'm very very surprised that the the the, the personal messages that you shared with your friend and family like what what world does that bear any relevance to the case of the the constitutionality of a school banner what are they trying to determine there your 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 intent like whether or not you were maliciously anti-religious what could they have possibly got oh yes that? i mean that that actually kind of is why so the city was you know trying to i don't know if they were actually trying to make the argument but there was a lot of speculation that like I didn't actually care the way that I claimed to, mm -hmm. that I was doing this because the ACL, I was a pawn of the ACLU or something like that. Like I wasn't like I was some kind of actor. I, I don't really know what the theory behind this was, but um It seems like a pretty bad faith attempt at like delaying the the legal process. I don't think that any judge would ever like I I don't think any judge would ever overturn a case because they your your intent has nothing to do with 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 anything with anything regarding the constitutionality. But I mean, it's a way of intimidating you, right? Like, hey, drop the case. We can make your life hell in the meantime. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably what the city was attempting to do. And and also, ironically enough, the city was trying to make the argument that the prayer should be allowed to stay up because it's a historical thing at this point that it had been there for such a long time that 
you know, it's just a piece of like history or whatever, which, you know, nowhere on it did it say what year it went up or did it have some kind of also disclaimer being like, by argument, the way, yeah. no, it's, it's totally not. Um, but they tried everything. They were just throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick. And I mean, they tried claiming it was student artwork because back in like the sixties or something, it, they originally had a student design the prayer. So, I mean, they were really grasping at straws. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they were unsuccessful. So, I mean, I, I do think the judge, I don't think it was him being malicious towards me in any kind of way. Like, I don't think he was thinking, oh, let me, let me accept that in the discovery, you know, this young girl's going to have to turn everything over. I don't think he was thinking like, haha, yeah, that's what I want. But that, you know, he had to give some credence or whatever the word is here to to the city's argument that like you know if i was actually telling people secretly like oh yeah i don't actually care about this like one of the arguments my legal team was making was that this was offensive to non-religious students and so they were trying to catch me in a lie saying to someone like no i'm not offended by this i just you know you know x whatever you want to say i was doing it for all right well i guess that I guess if I had no moral compass, I could understand why they took the direction they did. Um, but you would have to have no moral compass to take it, so it's not good. So you dealt with that for a long time, and eventually you got a favorable ruling. And I'm looking, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Do you mind if I uh, quote the uh, the judge, District Court Judge Ronald Legault? Yes, it's a French name, so it's not pronounceable. Le Gueux, my apologies. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, at the hearing, uh, uh, the judge remarked that you are clearly an articulate and courageous young woman who took a brave stand, particularly in light of the hostile response she received from her community. And, of course, you got the ruling, and it was favorable to you. Um, mm -hmm. How did things pan out after that i mean immediately like what what was the fallout from that victory in your life so stuff actually got way worse like the the community really i mean they didn't like that i was like i had the audacity to do this in the first place mm -hmm. but it made it much worse when they were actually told like all right you know you guys lose this this little girl this little atheist girl just beat you they really, really did not like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the the number of death threats and, like, it was just completely insane. Would you say they uh, were salty? Yeah, a little salty, probably. I, I see here, just under the favorable quote that I read, was that Rhode Island State Representative Peter G. Palumbo uh, spoke on a local radio show the day after that ruling and referred to you as a quote, evil little thing, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of backfired on him because we printed it on t-shirts and like sold a ton of them. And that money became a scholarship for me. Like it did not work out in his favor at all. Um, and then I, you know, later kind of just embraced it as like a nickname, like people would, would call me that joke, like in support. But, um, yeah, he was my representative. This guy was like, like I was a constituent of his. And then the same guy called me a pawn 
star, like P-A-W-N. And like, I was literally 16. Like, again, like my perspective has shifted. Like at the time I was like, oh, he's calling me a pawn, like a pawn of the ACLU. Oh no. But now I'm like an adult and I'm like, oh great. So that was a grown man, a politician calling a young girl a porn pawn star. Like, yeah. So that was the joke. Yeah, because when, when you were a kid, you never think it's real when you're a kid, right? You know, I'm pretty sure, like, it's a, a lot of people treat it like this. Like, when I was 13 years old, like, little squeaky-voiced Vosh, you know? Yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm, a, I'm an adult, basically. But, like, in retrospect, I mean, e- today, the idea of going through everything that you went to, through as a child sounds exhausting. But, um, but you were a child. <laughs> um, yeah. And it seems like, in spite of all of that, you handled things with an unbelievable amount of grace and um, introspection that I think most full-grown adults would be desperately envious of. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I was, I hate to say it, but I was kind of mature from my age. I mean, I had been an atheist for a while at the point that I was like, 15, 16, like, I I think I decided I didn't believe in God when I was like 10. So, I mean, I, not that, again, in hindsight, I was just a kid. I was not, you know, ready for any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I handled it. I handled the best I could. And people would constantly say to me like, oh, I could have never done that. And I mean, I I think you don't know what you can do until you do it. Like I, I was, I surprised myself. A lot of the stuff that I did like speaking at events and stuff that came like afterwards, after the case and like in a good way, obviously people who hated me weren't inviting me to speak at conferences and stuff, but I did get invited to a lot of stuff after the fact, like atheist events and things like that. And um, I, I was always just full of anxiety. Like I can't do this. I can't do this. And then somehow I did it. And so, I mean, I really, that's like the one thing that people say that bothers me is that they couldn't do it. Like, yes, you could, or at least don't say that about yourself until, you know, you've, you've faced something like that. Cause you'll surprise yourself when you care about something. And in, in retrospect, I assume, and I could be wrong here, but I assume you're happy all this happened. This was formative and you're proud and you're still proud. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it ruined my childhood. Like (laughs) at 15, 16, you have like very, you don't have much childhood left. Right. But like, I, I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to prom. I didn't get to graduate like with my friends and everything. And, uh, there was a lot of stuff that, I mean, I'm not, I'm going to use the word traumatized because I think it does apply here. I was Mm -hmm. very traumatized by the whole thing. But, you know, in the course of my whole life, yes, I'm glad this happened. Yeah, I understand. For what it's worth, you didn't miss out on that much at prom, uh, having gone. It's a highly overrated event. I'm going to assume that's pretty much universally the case for everyone. Uh, oh, yeah. Coolest I'm thing- sure. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My friends all assured me of such. Oh, yeah, yeah, They yeah. all said that was the case. Uh, you know, everyone's dancing badly. The coolest thing I got at prom is that, you know, they were they were serving out the little like the appetizer and the dessert and everything. It was nice food too. So while everyone else was off dancing, like an idiot, 
I just went from chair to chair and ate the food that was that was portioned out for people when they came back to the chairs, you know, like a like a vacuum cleaner. And that was good. Uh, I think I almost ate enough food to recomp the cost of the prom uh, admission. Oh yeah, I forget it costs money. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, but you 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 made money. I'm reading this right now. Apparently, you made um over sixty two thousand dollars from those t-shirts oh not just from the t-shirts but yeah Other a lot of too? people were like how can i support this person you know you know people from all over the country and world and it that was so so meaningful to me um you still sell them i i don't so actually it was never me who made them in the first place gotcha. but uh i mean it does. It's sort of a universally applicable phrase, I feel, to the left, isn't it? Evil little thing. I like that phrase, too, because there are so many ways they give themselves away in that language. First of all, it's a nonspecific criticism. It doesn't actually refer to anything bad that you've done. Second of all, it's patronizing in that creepy older man condescension talking to a younger woman type thing. Third, it's morally essentialist. It's not that you've done anything wrong. It's that you are wrong. It's everything wrong with conservative morality distilled down into a single, well, three-word phrase. It so perfectly encapsulates how impotent they were in their criticisms of you. Yeah, like it was just, you know, we have to insult her because we don't have a good argument here. Yeah, not to speak of the, um, the pawn star bit. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, analysis, uh, the, the analysis does itself. Um, yeah, oh yeah. It's... Um, the thing, when I hear your story, I mean, obviously it's, it's a very heartening story. I, 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 I'm, you've gone through quite a bit of turmoil to have arrived at this point. Um, but I mean, it seems that you found a lot of personal purpose in what you did. And I can tell you with great confidence that many, many thousands of other people found purpose in what you did as well, including myself. Um, when I was your age, I mean, I'm your age. So yeah, I guess I was just on the other side of the country, following along to what you did. And the thing that I hope moving forward is that stories like this become more common. Because I know that for every story like yours, there are probably a hundred stories of people challenging obvious injustice in their community, legal injustice, and not being able to act on it, not being able to challenge it. That's why I messaged you. I mean, I wanted to tell people, young people, that when something like this, when you see something and you know it's illegal, I mean, you might not know it first, you might have to do some research, but whatever. My point is just that I don't think a lot of these resources that are available to people in these situations are well known enough. Like I wouldn't have known what to do if the ACLU hadn't reached out to me. So I was lucky enough that that happened, but I mean, what would I have done if I didn't know what those resources were? I, I would have just asked the school and they would have said, no, we're going to leave it up. And I know this because one of the city's arguments was nobody else has complained about this for all these years that it's been up. But that actually turned out to not be true. When they did discovery, the school was also required to give up any and everything they had that pertained to the case. 
And we learned through that, that um, other people over the years actually had made complaints, not many, I think it was like two complaints about it in like 50 years. Uh So not great. But, uh, you know, what happened to them was the administration just said, "Uh, yeah, we're going to look into it. And then they would just keep it up. And then eventually the person would graduate and that would be it. So it was really only because I guess, honestly, it's probably because I said I was an atheist. That's what made it a newsworthy story. And that's how the ACLU found out about it. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's it, this, this inequality, this imbalance, it exists at every level, you know? All the people who aren't taught, for example, that if you're arrested by a police officer, you should shut up and not tell them anything and exercise your right to legal counsel. Or all the people who are, are not aware of all the ways in which you can force your will into the process to attend meetings, to file complaints through the right systems. There are so many people who have to deal with so much bad just because all of the means by which they can make their own lives better are buried behind a, an avalanche of circuitous bureaucratic horseshit. Yep. But you yep. got it. Yeah. And I mean, again, I don't think I deserve credit necessarily for that, uh, at least not in the beginning, because again, you, I already told you the ACLU came to me, but um, they're not even the only ones out there. There's there's so many organizations that exist purely to do this kind of thing. But, you know, getting them connected with the people who need them, that's the hard part. And I think that one of the big systemic ones here as well, because the ACLU put a lot of labor in. And as I understand it, uh, the school in the city agreed to pay the ACLU back their legal fees at the end of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. That that was part of the victory condition. The ACLU got paid about $150,000 after all the work they got put in. It was pro bono up to that point, right? They never asked you for money? Correct. I I didn't spend any more money or make any money. So That's awesome. And it does mean, I mean, there's an incentive. If there is a local injustice in your town, something where you think there's a solid case, um, there are systems, potential systems out there to address it yourself. And failing that, there are systems to attract the attention of civil rights, you know, um, communities that can lend their services, often because in civil cases, the legal fees can be paid back on, you know, in the case of a victory. Right. Yes. And that's exactly what pro bono means. The, yeah. the city had lawyers from a conservative Christian group, it's basically like the opposite of the ACLU. Um, the ULCA. Were, and, yeah. The very scary <laughs> org. And, and part, of, part of the city's argument was sort of actually undermined by the fact that they let lawyers from a conservative Christian organization represent them so they were claiming like oh it's a historical artifact you know we that's why you shouldn't look at the part that says prayer and read too deeply into that because you know it's been there for so long at this point it should just be considered a piece of history and i mean but then they get the ones the christian yeah yeah, the christian squad rolling up to help them make their case yeah well um it seems like your legal opponents were not anywhere near as um fastidious and forward-thinking as you, uh, or that case might have dragged on for quite a while longer, right? 
Well, yeah. And I mean, my lawyers were, were really good. Like they were, and I, it's a pretty simple case. I mean, they would have been really bad lawyers if they'd lost this one. Honestly. I think you should give yourself a lot more credit for how uh, int integral your, um, your, your, your spirit was to keeping this case afloat. Seriously, it was really inspiring. I mean, I know that I'm not the only one. I'm sure there are people watching right now who have memories similar to mine. Well, I mean, that kind of makes me feel like it was worth it. Like when I think about having missed out on like some of my childhood and stuff, I'm sort of fine with that if it means that it had an effect on other people or made enough people think, oh, wow, I could do that. Or even just to become aware of it and to be like, oh, hey, you know what? Uh, the constitution's not dead. Uh, you can't just do whatever you want in public schools. You know, there are rules that need to be followed and, and atheists are out there. I, I had a lot of messages from people saying, it, it just meant a lot to them that I was willing to say publicly that I didn't believe in God. Like that, even just that part of it, I've gotten like hundreds or even thousands of messages from people just saying like, I can't tell you, you know, people who were, you know, in their 50s, 60s, older saying like, I've been, I guess, in the closet, if you can say that, about being an atheist my whole life. And because I saw you do this and I saw that you could tolerate the harassment that you received because of it, I'm thinking to myself that I could do the same. And so that kind of thing has made it all worth it. Yeah, I it, it, I don't know. A lot of people don't understand this um, because online being an atheist is like the least brave thing imaginable. If you go on Reddit or Twitter and you proudly proclaim that you don't believe in God, like it's you're just, you're the bravest human on earth, you know. But really, in in person, it, there are many communities in this country where um, where being an an out atheist is actually like immensely destructive to a person's social life. Likewise, we don't really have atheist representation in our government. Um, I if we ever get like a front running atheist presidential candidate it is going to be a massive deal. It's true that a lot of people, their day-to-day -day life isn't affected that much by being atheist, you know, especially if you live in like a big city. But for a lot of people, this is a legitimate civil rights issue. And your case was a civil rights case. It sounds dumb because everyone thinks like, oh, atheism, so brave. Our atheism on Reddit, YouTube, like that stuff. But really, it does mean something to a lot of people. And um, and I and I appreciate you um, committing your time to making things a little bit easier for those people. Thank you, you. Yeah. Do you have any um, any last words of advice or uh, something like that that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think um, if there's one thing that I hope people hear when you know they hear about my story, it's just. Um, that they would be able to do this, that if something in their school or, you know, whatever it is, if, if they were to see something that gives them pause and, and they feel like it's probably illegal, well, first of all, follow that feeling, like you're pro you could be right, like you might assume that, no, the government would never do that. But that's not necessarily true. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, and 
it goes unnoticed. I mean, in the case of the prayer in my school, it was 50 years until it came down. And think about how many people were negatively affected by it in that time. You know, so um, I think it's important to know what resources are out there. And I think it's also just, it's a different world now. I think if anything, if I did what I did then today, if I were still somehow 16, mm -hmm. I don't think it would go the same way again today. I think it would be, I think there would be more resources, even more than there were then. And, and there were a lot, you know, there was an organization called, or it's still like around, it's called the Freedom From Religion Foundation and the FRF. And I, I've worked with them plenty. And there's also a Secular Student Alliance, SSA. Um, these, are, these are groups that have done a lot of work specifically with young people, students. And I know that if something like this came up, even if it ends up being something where it doesn't lead to a lawsuit, hopefully, I mean, you always hope for that. Right. Um, it's much easier for everyone and it costs yeah. a lot less money in the end. But um, I think just to know that you're not alone, number one, and number two, I think that these these groups, if more people knew about them, they would be bigger. And I think if they were bigger, the world could be a little bit better of a place. Because I am still very um, idealistic, despite everything that's happened to me. I still believe that there's a lot of good in people. I mean, I've I've seen the absolute worst that people have to offer. And I've also seen some of the most amazing gestures of support. So, I mean, it really is, if you find the right community, it really is worth doing and it is doable. You know, you will have the support you need to get through it, whatever it turns into. Thank you. There's one more thing that I wanted to mention um, before we head off and keep it to a very clean one hour, uh, which makes me happy seeing the exact one hour. Um, and it's, uh, I heard a rumor. A rumor, okay. That somebody's What's birthday is coming up. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, on Monday. So I'm still technically 25 and I will be 26 on Monday. So I think I did say I was 26, but okay, almost. Just about there. We'll, we'll, we'll yes. forgive your deceit. Um, How did you know this? Oh, is it on, it's on Wikipedia, isn't it? Yeah. It is on Wikipedia. Okay, okay. I forget about that. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you to anyone in your chat who, who has been saying that. A good number of them. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I was very much looking forward to speaking with you. And um, uh, it went just about as good as I could have imagined. Hopefully we can speak again in the future. I would love that. Yeah, I've been a big fan of yours for a while. I think you're doing great work. I wish you would have been doing this when I was going through my case, because then been... you could have offered all sorts of support. I've been a fan of yours for longer, so the feeling is beautiful. Oh. Thank all you right. again awesome. for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.